You're listening to episode five of the Nightingale podcast. I am so excited for you all to hear from our amazing guest this week, Angie, also known as Fuchsia Angie. She has an amazing story about her nursing journey and how she got to where she is today. She's giving us all the details on her role as an advanced practice nurse, and you do not want to miss it. I'm telling you, she is inspirational and she is bound to motivate you. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to our reviewer of the week. This week's review comes from Rob Fam one They say, great podcast for nurses or anyone. I am really enjoying this podcast. It is inspiring and motivating to hear how other nurses found their paths. Nursing is such an interesting and diverse career. I would love to hear from nurses who have been in the profession for decades to hear where their journeys have taken them. Keep up the good work. I love this advice. Thank you so much for leaving this review this week. These reviews mean so much to me, and they truly are a way to get the podcast out to as many people as possible. And this is a way for you to tell me what you really want to hear, because ultimately, this podcast is all about you. And I love the point you make when you say this podcast is for anyone, because it truly is. I think these nurses have such wisdom to share for anyone who is motivated and looking to advance their life and their career goals. And don't you worry, I have some nurses lined up who have years and years of experience that I cannot wait to share with you. So stay tuned to hear from them in future episodes. Hey friends, welcome to the Nightingale podcast, a podcast for nurses, future nurses, and well, anyone interested in the nursing profession. I'm your host, Dakota Falkowski. RN, BSN, and DNP student. Join us each week as I interview nurses from all areas of the nursing profession to uncover nursing opportunities that you may have not known even existed. You can expect to be inspired and maybe even a little bit motivated. The goal of the Nightingale podcast is to encourage you to think outside of the box, step outside of that comfort zone of yours, and reach for a fulfilling and unique nursing journey. So let's dive in and check out this week's guest. You never know, they may just have your dream job. Angie, welcome to the Nightingale podcast. I am so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We are so fortunate to have Angie with us. She's also known on Instagram as Fuchsia Angie. She is amazing. She is going to bring you so much insight into a whole new area of the nursing profession. She is our first advanced practice provider that we have had on the show. And I think she is going to have some great insight into many different areas of the nursing profession for us. So thank you again. I can't wait to dive in here. Thank you. I'm excited. So I would love to get started with just hearing about when you graduated from nursing school, where you graduated from, and kind of your first um, few years and your how you got started in the nursing field. Um, so I'll start with, so I graduated uh, high school in 2009, so I'm going to kind of show my age a little bit. Um, and then I went to uh, Georgia State for my BSN, graduated in 2013. I went on to work in the PICU at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta for two years. And then after that, I started CRNA school at Augusta University, which was formerly known at the time as Regents, um, uh, Georgia Regents University. 
and I did my CRNA, but I have a MSN. Um, they are now a DMP program. So the first DMP class has since started since I've graduated. And I did graduate in December of 2017 when I started practicing as a CRNA in February of this year. So I've been out now for about six months and kind of settled into uh, my current practice where I work at a level one, a level one trauma center. Um, we do obstetrics where um, anesthetists, which includes CRNAs and AAs, we do our own epidurals, spinals, uh, pediatric cases, adult trauma, and all the different other types of specialties that come along with um, anesthesia services. This is amazing. And it's so funny that you say um, you started this all in t- 2009 and just it doesn't even feel like that long later and you're already to where you are in the nursing profession. So it, I think this is such a great example for people that if you have a goal in, in mind with whether it's with nursing or any type of profession and you hustle, you can achieve this in, in such a short amount of time. And just to have, have that goal in the back of your mind and moving forward. And it sounds like you made some really important steps in that time. It really is doable and you can achieve those goals. Definitely. I think that um, with millennials, there is a, a bend towards, I feel like a lot more people really desiring to get into the advanced nurse um, profession a lot sooner than the traditional thought of five years of expertise at the bedside. And so um, I've noticed just with my class and just with a lot of other SRNAs that the major- the average CRNA goes to CRNA school with three years of experience. And so I'm seeing more and more people who are applying at their one or two year mark of bedside experience for sure. Yes, I love this. I think this is such a good point because I was in the same boat too. I kind of, when I started nursing school, I totally had it in the back of my mind that I was going to go for an advanced practice role and I didn't really know what I was going to go for but it it wasn't the case before where you kind of started out your nursing your undergraduate degree knowing that you wanted to go on so I think this is such a cool point to make because I actually had a friend who was told by one of our managers that um, she didn't have enough experience to apply for grad school which was really upsetting for her and she ended up getting accepted and she's already in the program now but don't let people tell you that you you don't have enough experience experience is important but to get started you you can have those goals and start start right away on them and um this is such an important point for those of you who do have it in your in your head to go on because you have you have time to get there but if, if you start making those those first few steps, you can get there a little quicker than it used to be possible. I agree. I think that, too, as someone is a young provider going into an advanced practice role, especially where the older school of thought is that having at least five years is really the best um, option, that recognizing and really being humble and seeing where your deficits are in your lack of experience and seeking opportunities to learn and really kind of being ahead of where you, um, recognizing what you know, recognizing what you don't know, right? You know, so you don't know what you don't know. And so as a provider with less bedside experience, that is going to work against you. However, your experience is still valuable nonetheless. And so if you desire to be um, not spend as much time at the bedside, it's, it's very imperative to go ahead and be 
proactive in your bedside experience and to make sure that you're taking care of the sickest patients and you're also doing having the most opportunity to learn while you are at the bedside and not being more lackadaisical in your experience opportunities. Perfect. I, I so agree. I, I think too, it's so crucial when you're you don't have a ton of experience that you use the nurses that are around you once you're stepping into that provider role because a lot of times the provider role is a lot different than the nursing role and if you look and then you make a great relationships with the nurses that you're working with you can you can really use them as a resource and say oh hey I really don't have that much much experience in this area. Can you help me out? Or this is a big thing for me too when I go to clinicals um, for my Pete's primary care is I don't have a ton of experience in the clinic setting. So I'm always looking to those nurses like, oh, what do you guys typically do in this situation? And that's the same in any setting. So that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point too that you discuss, especially as you go through school is that you'll be in areas where you just, you're not familiar um, and you really heavily rely on your colleagues to kind of help um, catch you up to speed on the culture, but also to just um, certain uh, skill sets or training that, you know, is a new, it's new for you. Right, for sure. So I'm curious, did you, when you got into the nursing program for your undergraduate, did you know you wanted to do CRNA or what kind of led you to that path? So it's funny. Um, I originally knew I always wanted to do pediatric nursing, um, and I did not think that I wanted to do PICU because I was like, oh, I want patients to talk to my patients. I can't stand without them being sedated. And then um, I met my now husband, who was in the nursing program with me, and I hadn't. He explained to me what a CRNA was. I didn't know what it was prior to that. Um, so I researched it, and then I was I had a nurse externship with children's, and I did um, the transplant unit. And so we had opportunity to go shadow in the ICU and also had the opportunity to go to the operating room. And so I saw a couple um, organ transplantations. And one of the times I had a CRNA do the anesthesia. And so when I was standing by anesthesia, I was like, oh my God, this is CRNA. <laughs> and I thought it was the coolest thing. I never, like I said, I had, I only knew about nurse practitioners um, as far as the advanced practice role. And at that point I was like, oh, mine's blown. I'm going to be a CRNA. <laughs> and so at that point, I um, communicate. I had the most supportive um, manager on transplant, and she was. I told her I said I really wanted to pick you coming out as a new grad because I had originally planned to work there, um, the transplant unit upon graduation, and I said I want to go to pick you because I want to go to CRNA school, and she got my recommendation to go to pick you, and I went to pick you. That's so cool. I love that. It's so neat too how. Once you are exposed to that role, it is really, like you said, it's mind-blowing because the the autonomy that you guys have in your role is, is really cool. And it's, it's, it's an honor really to have a nursing role that um, just has so much responsibility. And it, it's really great to see, just to see that role within the healthcare profession. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, We've been doing, and nurse, nurses have been providing anesthesia for over 150 years. Um, so this is not a new specialty for um, advanced nurses. And so this is something that we take great pride in. And like I said, we have a lot of time, especially within our military services. We are on the front lines serving our veterans. Um, and so, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in being able to call myself a CRNA and recognizing just the history behind the profession. Um, but also to also keeping up with and fighting for our civil practice going forward. 
um, and maintaining that level of independence for sure. Oh, that's so that's interesting that you say that that that's really cool. So I'm curious a lot. I know a lot of the I know I've heard a lot about the CRNA program as far as just the intensity of the program. It's a really rigorous. Did you work throughout the program or how did you manage that? So this is an interesting. So traditionally, you can not work in CRNA school. Um, you had to have permission written by your program director to be able to work. However, what I've been seeing, I actually just had lunch with a young lady who's um, at a program in Florida, and their program is a DNT. And the way they're doing it is the first two semesters are all completely online, which are your DMP portion and a few of your um, non, like your chemistry and a few of your non-nursing anesthesia courses will all be done at home so you can work if you need to. And then once you come in for the last, I believe, 16 months of the program, then you are 28 months of the program, I guess you could say. Um, you will be in class and you will also be doing OR. So it's a hybrid integrated program. And so I'm hearing more and more about CNA schools doing that to help alleviate this financial burden that comes along with going to CRNA school because unfortunately, um, I feel that is, and as most people probably would agree with me too, is that a big deterrent is the financial burden that comes along with it, especially when you consider most people who decide to go to CNA school already married and or have or maybe single parents with children to take care of and they may own a home or have other bills that cannot allow them to really essentially decrease their income significantly and or have no income and live off of student loans. Gosh oh that's really that's nice that they're offering that then because I mean too it's also a way for you to continue to get that experience while you're starting the program especially for people who are like this is what I want to do but yeah I feel like I still need more experience so you're kind of like with that hybrid atmosphere, you're be, you're able to do kind of two different things at the same time. Right, exactly. You can build your actual bedside experience, but also do the not less important courses, but then courses that aren't as rigorous, um, and you can still manage doing a full-time course load by maybe working part-time or full-time, depending on your abilities. I would like to hear now kind of what does a typical day for you look like? Um, what are your responsibilities? Do you have a varying degree of things that you're doing within the hospital? I know you said you do epidurals and things like that. So what can you expect in your role? So every um, institution or group um, varies. So basically we have what you call the credentialing process. And so what that is is when you submit, when you get hired with a group or, or hospital, you are approved for certain privileges and those privileges is what the hospital says we are allowing you to do this based on your clinical training and your educational training and you showed in some level of competence that you are um, competent to be able to provide these services and so we we are we give you those privileges and your credentials so in the event something happens legally you're covered as long as you practice within that within those agreed scope of defined skills right so where I where I work at um, I am credentialed to do my own epidural spinals, um, a line central line. So I do, I'm not on the heart team. Um, after a year of experience, I can choose to join the heart team if it's a fit and where I can get trained with central lines. Some people will do them. Um, I right now do my a line epidural uh, spinals, uh, pediatric cases there. We do have a pediatric team for six pediatric cases. So what we call general peds would be like your dental cases, um, 
and your PEDS ENT cases where you're doing like a mask induction and you may you may or may not choose to intubate the patient um, for that procedure based on what's going on. Um, and then you do we do vascular neuro trauma ENT general bariatric GYN and we do in chronology also. So we do pretty much almost everything and we do out of OR which includes CT MRI the endoscopy suite. We also have an inventory care center, which we do staff also. Um, and that also includes an outpatient endoscopy suite that we do staff too. Um, so the way it works for us is we have a application on Google Docs where you can look the day before and you know what room you're assigned in. Depending on your caseload, you could finish the case early before your, your shift is done. And so let's say I finish my case around four o'clock, then I would go to the person who's running the board I'll take a break um, and I will go into another room or I may go do pre-ops or I may do sign-outs for patients who need to be signed out from the anesthetic um, evaluation or um, I may just kind of sit around and assist with anybody or if there's a trauma that comes up and there's an open room, then I will go staff that operating room. Um, so it kind of varies. Like you'll have a day you'll start out doing peds. You might end up doing end up in the OB area doing OB cases or you'll end up doing trauma case or end up just doing a long spinal case. Um, so I do, that's what I really enjoyed and that's what I wanted to come out of school was really a good variety of cases and then after a couple of years of experience I could say, you know what, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do OB. Um, I just want to do, I can have my choice, at least I know I've tried my hand in multiple types of skill sets and I've utilized my educational and clinical training to its fullest extent. That is awesome. I, I honestly didn't know the variety of, of the role. And I think that is so cool to see that you, like you, it sounds like CRNA sounds like such a, a specific area, but you are covering all areas of the entire hospital, which is such a interesting experience, especially for someone who does want the variety and the different experiences. And I think too, it's, it's a good thing to know that really wherever you go, different hospitals are going to have different, different role, um, guidelines and different ways that they use a specific provider. So even the roles that you, the things that you are doing within your role are so different than the hospitals that I've worked at. So it's so cool to hear just the flexibility that you have within your position. And I think that's what um, makes PRA so great is because every place is so different. And so when people say, well, what's typical? I'm like, what varies? Because if you work primarily at a surgery center, then you might be out by 12 o'clock most days. You have patients who are ASA1, ASA2. They're very healthy. It's very quick ambulatory care procedures. And, you know, not saying that they're not difficult and every patient is very different. Even the case is the same. However, you know, I work in the South where unfortunately waistlines are much larger. So you're talking about a, a patient population that is has a lot more comorbidities, let's say, than being somewhere where patients have a smaller waistline so the amount of comorbidities are less and so the, their their overall health profile makes them let's say an ideal patient to put to sleep you know um like my like my yeah. husband is a crna and he does freelance and so he works um majorly at urology centers dental, dental uh, surgery centers and he does inventory care centers and then right now he's been doing a trauma center um so he sees a little bit of everything so every day he has a different experience, but if he does dental, he might do one or two procedures and he's done by 12. 
but he's been compensated for eight hours worth of pay. I think this is such a good point. I love this because this is the whole reason behind the podcast and the whole idea behind the podcast because we we get into a certain area of nursing or we see it from the outside and we think that it is just cut and dry. This is what you do. And this is just showing that you have to explore. There's so many different areas, especially like I said, I I originally was going to do the CRNA route and I only saw a small amount of what of what a CRNA does just by what I had seen in my institution. But had I look further, who knows what have my path had changed. So it's really good to to hear this and just to see that you you got to kind of step outside of the box and look into different ways that that one position is being utilized it's in a BSN role, an ADN role, um, whether it's an advanced practice role. So I think that is so neat. And, you know, and it's, I think that's where, and I, th- I think you're right. I think that oftentimes when we are trying to find our passion, and especially for nurses who feel like, you know, I don't want to say that by forever, and that's okay if you want more for yourself. But I think that where we fall short in is that we're looking for our passion to find us, and that's really not how passions work. I think that we have to take responsibility in developing our passion, and part of that is really taking time to research well, how is this profession, what does it look like in different places? And what does it look like in a clinic versus a hospital versus um, being a freelance or um, a 1099 provider? Like, what does that look like for me and my skill set? And then also, too, am I open to relocating? Because also, too, geographic plays a large responsibility in scope of practice. Some states are more restrictive to mid-levels. Um, while it's an unfortunate situation, it's just something that needs to be considered. And so if you're not open to potentially... Um, being a little bit more thoughtful in how to increase your income or increase your scope of practice, then, you know, it's, it's always to your advantage to really research and research other people who are doing it in your area um, who don't work at the same place as you because that's where how you're going to really get a good, um, a good uh, insight outside of it. And so I found with Atlanta, Atlanta is a little bit, Georgia is overall more restrictive to nurse practitioners and CRNAs. And so it, you start running into the issue of, okay, well, if I want to do certain skill sets, like, for example, I knew that if I wanted to do OB, I will not be able to do OB being within the Atlanta 285 radius. Why? Because that's just the way the practices are going with the anesthesiologist, and that's fine. That's not my that's not a problem with that. I do think we've increased scope. However, I knew that I'd have to drive a little bit farther. I live in the city, so I drive about an hour to my job but for me it was really important to do my OB skills coming out of school and so that was something I had to sacrifice was my location but my compensation and for my scope of practice. Oh my gosh yes I, I think that is so smart because really you can you can choose what you want to do with any position in the nursing field so you you have to take it upon yourselves to really to dive in there and do the research and maybe you're going to be in a hospital that you have to implement or you have to drive the change to work within your within your scope of practice but maybe another hospital is using 
CRNAs in a certain way, and they didn't know that. So, I mean, that's obviously more possible in smaller practices and within smaller organizations. But you can, if you would, if you want to, you can always be on that front line for change too. Exactly. So, I'd like to hear what what's your favorite part about your position so far? Um. You know, the variety. You know, I never know what I'm going to walk into. I I really enjoy it right now in my career. Um, I really enjoy being challenged. Um, I enjoy, like I said, getting in my day starts with a different type of case so the end of the day will go differently. Um, for example, on Thursday is my late day, and so I'm the person who's also on call. So generally when you come in, you'll give people breaks and lunches, and then you'll do a staff at OR. And then after a certain time of the day, then you go over and you take over the OB. And so you're the person who does all the epidurals and C-sections um, until the evening until you get sent home. And then I'm on call for the rest of the night. And so shifts like that, you just literally see a little bit of everything because it's a long day. Um, but it's a good day. Right. Oh, for sure. That's cool. And what any, if any, downsides do you have to your position? Um. I think the downside sometimes is, and it, I've, for me, I think it's not just the profession. I think it's just my age. I look, I'm young. I'm in 27. Um, and so I look young. I don't wear makeup to work either. So I feel like that even makes you look even, even more uh, childish, <laughs> along with wearing scrubs that are really too large for me. Um, so I, I think sometimes um, looking young and then I, when I'm tired, I'm soft-spoken, um, but I have found that for the most part, right now, you know, I think sometimes it might be a learning curve. And I think it comes sometimes with confidence. And that's just being a, a newer provider um, and just being now being used, being used to being being in the role of being the leader um, and being the one making the call and, and stating my opinion and saying, no, we're not going to do this or we are going to do this. Um, now, I do work in an anesthesia care team model with an anesthesiologist, however, when they're not in the room, it's me. Um, and mm-hmm. so if I don't feel comfortable with something, I'm not going, I'm not going to do it. Um, and so feeling comfortable with saying no um, and kind of resting in that. So you're not, I don't feel like I'm used to that as much, um, just coming from the bedside. I feel like we will we'll, we will state our concerns, but being the one to put your foot down, that's just a different, it's different capacity for me. Um, and so that's been just something I feel like I've had to overcome and just being okay with being kind of confrontational sometimes. I'm not a confrontational person. Yeah, for sure. I I can't imagine how challenging that is. Like you said, being a younger nurse and then also ch- stepping into that provider role where you you have to be the one to step up and say, nope, this isn't right. Because we're kind of used to being in the RN role where you're, you have people around you. There's typically providers around where you're kind of looking to them to make the final call. But now you're the final call. So that's really, that's really a great point. And I think that, I think, is, I think also too with having students, it, it helps when you are in clinical environments where you have CMAs that encourage as a student. Because I know that I, we did, I was at just VA, we did a lot of rotations where you're by yourself in the OR. So that really helps. But it's still different. It's still a different dynamic once you're not a student anymore and you're like, oh no, I'm licensed. It's me. I'm it. There's nobody else to look at but mm-hmm. me. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
So I'd like to kind of switch gears now and talk about kind of what other things you're doing in your life, because you not only are doing amazing things with your CRNA career, but you are really stepping into a new area of kind of the world and influencing. And I would love for you just to take a minute to talk about what other things you're doing for the nursing profession. Um, so I'm glad you asked about that. So I started my Instagram just about a year ago. Um, and I kind of started not really knowing what I wanted to do. I felt like so less than 3% of CRNAs are African Americans. So there's a huge disparity with African Americans in just an advanced practice role period, but let alone within the CRNA profession. And so my overall goal has always been to increase the presence and the awareness of who we are as a profession, but in particular to the African American population. Um, and I also have a huge passion for beauty and skincare. And so it kind of started with school and I decided to kind of mesh the two. It's, it's a very weird uh, niche if you was to ask most people. However, somehow, you know, people seem to like it and um, have been very supportive of the things I have to say. My probably one of the biggest things that I'm working on right now that I really would like to do within the next year is actually create a scholarship for CRNA students, um, focusing specifically in the issue of financial burden for the everyday expense. Um, if you can go to CRNA school, you're generally your tuition is covered with student loans, but it's things like the car note, the gas, can you get your overall, your electricity bill paid? Me and my husband, we lost power multiple times. We almost got our car repossessed when we were in school. Um, and we were in a clinical a program where you are three to four hours from your clinical site because we have clinicals all over the state of Georgia. So if we lost one car, that, that it just wouldn't work with both of us being in clinicals in very different areas. Um, so that was something I really am passionate about, wanting to give back and just kind of understanding what it means to struggle, be struggling to get through and really relying on your family and friends to kind of really help support you financially and emotionally. Um, and then also to just mentoring aspiring nurses and aspiring CRNAs and just sharing information, putting the information out there. Cause I used to think, well, you know, this is common knowledge or people know, or they'll find out from, you know, nursing school, but there are a lot of things, you, you know, nursing school is meant to train you to be a entry level nurse into the med third world and not meant to kind of help you finesse through the issue of, you know, how can you be successful getting through nursing school? How can you be successful actually preparing for an advanced practice role to get into a program? Um, and so sharing that information with my followers on Instagram. That is so inspiring. I think I think everything you're doing with that is so cool because we need people like you out there because we I've talked about this before is that we have this stigma within the nursing profession that the older nurses, they um, can sometimes not be welcoming to the younger nurses or um, vice versa, where the younger nurses are coming in kind of acting like they, they kind of know it all. So for you to be that, that person that is setting kind of the stage for the profession, I think is such a great um, thing. And especially too, with the scholarship opportunity, I think that's a, a wonderful idea because that is a really, um, it's a really tough thing with the nursing um, advanced practice role. And it's, it's something that's kind of unique too, to the um, graduate level of the profession, because I think that we, it's, we don't get in kind of 
realizing that, like you said, you're so you kind of start your career and you have to have this experience, which is different than, um, say, going the medical school route where you are you're always a student where you're kind of getting into other responsibilities. And like you said, they they don't want you to have a a job um, when you're in school. So I think that is so cool. That's so smart. Thank you. It's just, you know, we always hear, I think the first thing you hear about CRNA is, oh, well, you can't work in school, you know? And so, you know, and knowing, yeah, and knowing you what it's like, I worked parent in school and so did my husband and we still couldn't, we couldn't get by. And to go through the pain of coming home from 10 o'clock and driving three hours and having no power and then having to go somewhere else and then having to hide your car from the, <laughs> the loan before they took your car back, you're like, it's just, I know the pain. I don't want anyone else to have to go through that. Um, and, you know, every little bit counts. We would get small grants. I mean, $600, I mean, it would just do so much. Um, and so I really like what schools are doing now to kind of help alleviate that burden. And I think going forward, um, there's not, and also, too, there's not a lot of scholarship opportunities for CRNA programs, period, even just for advanced practice degrees, graduate degrees overall. But there's just not a lot. And so I'm hoping to be one of the people, and I'm hoping that more people also would be inspired to hopefully create a scholarship to for advanced practice just period for nurses we, we need the money um and it just every little bit helps because most like i said most advanced practice nurses are going back have families are caring for not just for themselves and so it's difficult that's awesome i think too it's just um it, it would be a shame it, and I'm sure it's happening all the time. It's just unfortunate to have that be a barrier to some really amazing um, future advanced practice providers from going into that that route. So I think that's that's amazing. Thank you. So you kind of told us a little bit, but any other big long-term visions for your career or big goals that you have within your life or within your nursing profession? Um, well, definitely I want to go back and get my DNP. Um, so I'm thinking around my two-year mark, more than likely want to give myself a little bit of time uh, to just kind of just enjoy my profession, but also to kind of just work on being consistent with my Instagram. This, Instagram, is it takes time. You're you having to create content and then, you know, engage with followers. And I talk to a lot of people very regularly and, and answer advice. And so, um, and I have people I do mentor also. So that takes time. Um, so I wanted to kind of just be consistent with that before I started, you know, adding on my third burden. Um, but then also to, like I said, get my scholarship off the ground within the next year. And then uh, as far as influencing, I, like I, said, I do a lot with beauty. And so I love fashion and I love skincare. And so my goal is to work with, eventually end up working with a science-based skincare um brand and either be a spokesperson or actually be involved with their um, advertising um, advertising department because that's something I'm really passionate about is um, evidence-based skincare or science-based skincare, excuse me. That's so fun that you found a way to kind of take your, your passion and just kind of your um, just your interest in life and tie them in with your nursing career. Because I think that's what's really missing within this field is that we feel like we have to, again, like fit into this really specific outline of how a nurse looks or how an advanced practice provider looks. And you, you don't really look for other things. So it's a great way to kind of show people too, that you can have your position that you love and you can find other ways too, that you can get involved with other areas of, 
like you said, with beauty and um, fashion and just with other interests that you have and kind of tie the two together? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I have fuchsia hair, which is where the name Fuchsia Andy comes from. And so I dyed my hair in school because I was frustrated with this feeling I was giving up so much to school. Um, and I've always been very free with my hair. I've, I've had like the mohawk to the very short, you know, asymmetrical bob to long. Um, and so my husband always says, every time you go to school, you change your hair. And I said, well, you know, I feel like when I do my doctorate, it'll be something different, right? Um, but, <laughs> you know, I've never, when people ask me, well, you know, how can you be a CRNA and have your hair color like that? And I said, well, I don't seek to change the professional standards of what professionalism, professional dress is. I seek to represent my personality within the profession that I am, but also work around the barriers or the limits that come along with that. And so, for example, a lot of my colleagues, unless they follow me on Instagram, they don't know I have pink hair. <laughs> and because the reason, because I come <laughs> in with my scrub hat already on, like, I, I don't think it should be a distraction. So I recognize that, yes, my hair is not traditional. And yes, that it, it, it may not be people start people's cup of tea, and that's perfectly fine. But I'm not listening to those people's opinions. Um, I have fortunately worked in a profession where I don't have to brush my hair every day, which is great for me um, and everybody else who doesn't like to brush their hair in the morning. So I just get up put my hat on and just go to work and put my scrubs on. So it's great. Um, <laughs> and so I feel like, especially with millennials, we I always hear, well, you know, I just want to be myself, but I want to, you know, have be have a professional job. And I'm like, you have to reconcile the limits that that may put on you be able to work around it so for example when i interviewed um when i was getting ready to look for jobs before i graduated i only interviewed i have a black wig i call her um harriet and i would pull her out for my interviews (laughs) because i recognize that it's just it's going to be it's the first time you see me it's going to be your first impression and so i want my skills and my resume to speak for itself and then if you find out after the fact that i have bright colored hair then it doesn't matter because you know that i'm a quality employee and i'm an asset to your team um, and so my recommend, I always tell the people, young people, especially who want to be more individualistic, individualistic in their, um, physical expressions that you need to recognize where it can't, where it is and where it isn't appropriate within your profession and know when to turn it off and on, but it still doesn't change who you are. You can still express it. It's just, there's a, there's a right time and a place for that too. I love that. That is so cool. And I like I just I think it's so fun that you are able to express yourself in that way. And like you said, just having the professionalism to to just tone it down when you're at work or just knowing the right situation in which you can show show that side. Thank you. All right, Angie. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think you are such an inspiration for everyone within the nursing profession and just everyone in general, especially with what you're doing with influencing others. It's just, it's really going to impact a lot of people. Well, thank you. I would love to, I would love to have you share with everyone how they can keep in touch with you. Just follow what you're doing. Um, so I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, it's at F-U-C-H-S-I-A. A-N-G-I-E at Fuchsia Angie and then my email is um, Fuchsia Angie um, at gmail.com for any communications or inquiries um, but I'm always available for questions answers on Instagram I respond pretty quickly and that's why I give up any um, information or updates on any events I'll be attending or any information or any giveaways that I may be doing also. 
Perfect. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what you do in your future. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Nightingale podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you subscribe so that you are getting weekly notifications when the new episode comes out. And while you are there, I would really appreciate you leaving a review. And maybe your review will be featured on an upcoming podcast. You can check out all episodes at thenightingalepodcast.com or on Facebook at The Nightingale Podcast.